Hello, and welcome to another episode of Power From Pain, where we feature guests with inspiring stories that heal. I'm your host, Ilona Washington, and I'm honored to have on the show Cedric Newburn, President of Newburn Consulting, Operations Director for NASPA, Center for Public Trust, an Amazon bestselling author, and a John Maxwell certified coach, trainer, and speaker specializing in recreating relationships. Hi, Cedric. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. That was a mouthful, sir. You're pretty busy. Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> okay. I think I um I cyber stalked you and I hit you up on Facebook. You know, I'm very transparent about how I find my guests, you know, just in case someone wants to be a, a podcast and don't think they have to like go out and do this formal thing. So um you have such um a really good story of forgiveness and about fatherhood. And I thought um the viewers would love to to hear it. So um, when you were writing the pre-questions, you had said that your parents were a year old when they divorced. Right. So my, my parents actually met in college. Um, they were lovebirds throughout their years at Tennessee State University. And then shortly after graduation, they did what all, kid, all kids did back in the early, late 60s. They got married right away. And my dad and mom moved to the Washington DC area and they were there for a couple of years. And then of course uh, they got pregnant with me. My mom got pregnant and I was born and almost nine months later, my parents were splitting up. And it was an, uh, it was really sad. And, and I've over the years asked both of them what happened. And, and really, if you think about it, it was 1971 things were really difficult, even though uh, both parents had graduated from college and my dad was actually working on a master's degree there at Howard. Um, and it was just really difficult for them to get a job, make ends meet. You also had, you know, the racial tension that was going on. And you had these two young folks from, you know, little small towns in West Tennessee that were now living in the big city. So I've often said, I can't imagine what it was like for them at that time. And then to have a child come into, into their lives and try to figure out how to be parents, how to make ends meet and to provide for the child. So they unfortunately de decided to split. Um, what happened, my dad actually got an opportunity to move to Los Angeles for a job. And my mom says, no, I'm not going to Los Angeles because she wanted to be closer to her family. And so um, because of that, uh, my dad dropped us off in, Lexington, Tennessee, and then he moved out to Los Angeles, and, and then ultimately my mom ended up coming back to Nashville, where she finished up her master's, and this is where we kind of planted our roots. So yeah, so I was less than a year old when they divorced. Wow, and if you think about it and think about our history, you know, it makes sense. Like a lot of the outside stress and strain can impact the marriage. I think now they say it's like what um, communication and finances that um, is a reason for a lot of divorce. But back then it was all that racial tension and difficulty getting a job. I can only imagine. I can only imagine. Yes. Yes. Growing up, did you have a relationship with your father? Well, I did, but it was really unique. Um, and I and I know when I share my story, and I've shared it for the last several years now. Um, I know that that I am very unique in the fact that. So I officially met my dad when I was five years old. 
he flew back uh, to flew back east to the south and brought me this humongous Mickey Mouse stuffed animal one time. That was the first time I met him. But because my grandfather adored me, so my dad's dad, my paternal grandfather, literally adored me. Uh, this man would drive from Jackson, Tennessee to Nashville, pick me up from school with my little suitcase and drive me back down to Lexington, Tennessee, where my mom's parents lived and drop me off at their house and then going back to Jackson. And his thing was, he just wanted to spend that hour and a half in the car with me. And of course he would take me to get ice cream and stuff like that. Uh, but I was just a little fella. So because I had such a great relationship and my, my grandmother as well, um, you know, I had a great relationship with them. I would spend summers going between both my mom's and my dad's parents' home. So that really was kind of the glue that connected me to my dad. But Again, you got to remember back in the 70s, long distance phone calls were very expensive. Flights were ridiculous. I mean, it was very expensive uh, for us to stay in touch back then. And so ultimately it was, you know, I would hear from him every now and then, every blue moon, uh, we would connect. But then something changed. My grandfather unfortunately passed away um, and he was my, my hero at the time. Um, and when he passed away, my dad had actually remarried and I now had a little sister. Well, my stepmom, believe it or not, fell in love with me. And so because she loved me so much and saw me as a big brother to their daughter, um, she was the one that bridged the relationship for me and my dad. So all of a sudden I started getting birthday cards, Christmas cards and gifts and, you know, checks and things in the mail that I hadn't gotten prior to that. So I was probably about nine. Fast forward, um, as I was a little bit older, I actually remember taking a, bu a bus, by the way, <laughs> from Jackson, Tennessee to Los Angeles, California. And what age? A bus. My, my, my grandpa, actually I did it twice. My grandparents, uh, we went on a bus, just the three of us. And then there was a, a church trip that they did as well. So I did that. And then I was a little bit older. I was about nine, 10 or 11, I think, when my dad first sent for me to come to LA and stay with him over the summer or over the Christmas holiday. So I would do that back and forth, uh, either for summer or for Christmas. So over the years, we developed more and more relationship. And um, I will say now, as I share more of the story, but because of forgiveness, he's now my best friend. So you imagine growing up, him not being there as often or as much as I would like for him to be. Uh, but because of forgiveness, we're now best friends. So I guess you kind of had questions like, yes. I hear nothing. And then all of a sudden I'm getting all, you know, checks and letters and you want to see me. Was that part of the resentment? You know what? I, I can't say I ever resented him. Um, I, I don't know that I have words for what I felt uh, other than just being abandoned and wishing. You know, I wish that I had a dad or around. Uh, my mom was single up until I was 13. And so I always wanted to have my dad there for sporting events to help me with little things that, you know, I just, I would see my other friends having those moments with their dads. And so I guess it would be a little bit of jealousy there, but I never really resented my dad for that. Um, but what I did realize was that there was, there were some things that my mom did 
And again, I know this is about Father's Day and I want us to, to really help men be better fathers. And that's what I've been on a mission to do. But I recognize that unfortunately, there are a lot of women that are raising children without the dads in their lives. And there are things that my mom did that were beyond outstanding. Number one, she never talked negatively about my dad in front of me. Now she did have her moments because, you know, she's a sister. So she'd be like, mm, you know, if I say, well, my dad will give me this. She'd be like, okay, let's just see. But she never really spoke ill of him. And she even would stop others and correct others when they did in front of me, especially when I was younger. Mm. It wasn't until I got older that she started to have more adult, meaningful conversations with me about things that were happening and frankly not happening that, that should have or could have happened. And the other thing she did in, is that she really got me into circles where I was around very positive men, very engaged fathers um, and uncles. And, and so I had a lot of male role models that in essence fill the gap for me when my dad wasn't there. So those are the things that she did that, that made me not feel that you know, I didn't really have a dad growing up because I always just felt like I've got a dad. He's just in L.A. out there with Mickey Mouse. So it never really felt as absent, except for, you know, those formative years of sports. So during those years, were you acting out in any kind of way? You had a good mom, but you still had that feeling of abandonment. So yes. how you behaving? You know what? I, I've always been a good kid. Um, and I, I know I used to get teased about it, but my mom was everywhere. <laughs> and anyone watching the show that, that knows me knows my mom. And it's actually been scary even at almost 50 years old. I'm, I'm running into people now that have been friends with my mom for the last 20 years that I also knew 20 years ago, but they didn't know that that was my mom. So my mom's, my mom's net was really, really broad. And I, my biggest thing was I never wanted to hurt or embarrass my mom. And so what I, I think I, I had my moments. I've always had challenges with abandonment, relationship issues like that. Uh, that's where it would kind of pop up. But never did I act up in school. Even when I was hanging around the wrong crowd, the wrong crowd would even push me to the side and not involve me in the bad stuff that they were doing. They were like, no, I said, it's time for you to go home. Uh, so I was very blessed in that. I think I had a covering over me uh, and I still do to this day where I, I, I never took the pain in the absence of my dad or, the, or, or really had that evolve into resentment that didn't allow me to be who I am today. Because now that I look back, everything that I've been through in life literally has been for a purpose that I'm now fulfilling today. So I recognize had I been angry, had I acted up, I probably wouldn't have the impact that I have on young people when I when I speak to them about what it means to be men, uh, even in the absence of male role models. That's a great point. Um, I interview a lot of people who did act out, and <laughs> they did a lot of you know they did a lot of things. So it's really interesting that you kept your head on straight. Would you attribute that to your mother? I attribute that first to my faith. I think at a very early age, I, I came to know God and, and I was always, literally I was in a faith-based school from preschool through eighth grade and then very active in my church in high school. And then even when I went to college, I still took religious courses in college. So I first attributed it to my faith, but I also 
absolutely attributed to my mom, who also it's attributed to her faith. We just, you know, just never really went down that path of misbehaving or doing things to get attention because I was fortunate enough to get attention. And even when my mom didn't give me attention, I got attention from a whole bunch of other people. There was, you know, I, I am the poster child for the village raising a child uh, because, you know, my babysitter's family adopted me. And, and so, you know, when my mom wanted to go out and she was still young, so she wanted to go out and, you know, have a good time. I would be like, I'm going to, to Sharon's house. I want to stay at my babysitter's. And I would sometimes spend the whole weekend at their house because I enjoyed being around other families. And there's another gentleman. Uh, so my best friend, first day of first grade, my, my mom and his mom set us down side by side in, in our little chairs at our desk and said, this is James, James, this is Cedric. You guys are going to be friends. And we looked at each other and said, okay. And from that day on, we, we were friends from first through eighth grade. His dad had a barber shop right down the street from Fisk University. And so I write about it in my book, how that was my after school program. You know, other kids would go to, you know, the YMCA or boys and girls club type facilities. No, I was going to the barber shop and I would sit there with my best friend and his younger sister. We would do our homework and I learned so many lessons from JT as a man, as a business owner, how he interacted with everyone in the community. I mean, everyone. And that's in my book. I mean, there's a gentleman, those of you from Nashville might remember Walking Paul, Walking Paul had some challenges after he came back from Vietnam and he would show up in the shop. And the way JT loved that man, supported him, just really showed me what it meant to be a man and, and, and know that there's a lot of different people around you that you still need to bless. Wow, it's really, really incredible. So like your story is, is different from the people I've interviewed, but the lessons and faith and strength, like it's, it's unavoidable, you immediately get it. So. You had this good upbringing, a good village, a wonderful mom. So when did you realize that you needed to forgive your father? Great question. So um, I did, I still had challenges, right? So, I mean, I, I'm a young African-American male growing up in the South, early seventies. Uh, so I did have my own challenges and struggles along the way. Um, but I started to realize about high school that you know, by then I was going and I was spending a lot more time. So I'd spend two months in the summer with my dad. And that's when I really started to say, wait a second, you know, there's so much about this guy that reminds me of me. And uh, ironically, if I were to put a picture up of him right now beside me, I literally have morphed into that man, right? And so I, I even laugh like him. And people that know both my parents would always look at me and say, hey, that's little Pedro. Man, you look just like your dad. So what happened when I was, I'd gone off to college for my first semester and I went out to stay with him for that uh, Christmas break. And we had just put my brother and sister to bed and they were, you know, they were, I guess, middle school age at the time. And here I was 18 years old. So now I'm a grown man. And I literally sat down with my dad and I said, hey, dad, I really want to talk to you about something. There's a lot that um, I want to say, but frankly, the main thing I want to talk about is the fact that I understand how it was probably difficult for you to be a father to me, to be as engaged as I needed you to be. And for that matter, even staying with my mom 
I can't imagine what it was like at 24 years old living in Washington, DC in 1971. I said, so dad, I forgive you. I forgive you for not being there for me. I forgive you for missing all of those special moments that fathers and sons should have. I understand. Now, I, I, I wish I could sit here and say that, you know, I'd had this meditational retreat and <laughs> spent all this time in counseling, but it was just in my heart. I just, I, I just looked at this man. And as I continued to see myself becoming him, and this was at 18, as I can continue to see that, I thought, how in the world could I not love this man? How in the world could I not forgive him? He didn't, you know, he didn't mean to hurt me in the ways that he did. And, I, and I, I kid you not, I at 18, I watched him literally forgive himself in that moment. And I could see the strain and the, and the pressure and all of the guilt that he had carried for 18 years, literally lifting off of his shoulders. Like his body posture even changed as a result of that conversation. And that was the moment that he and I became best friends because I forgave him, he forgave himself. And he said, he's like, son, there's so many times I wanted to just say, reach out to you and apologize. I just didn't know how. I didn't know what to say. I just, you know, so, and I'm like, dad, it's okay. Like, I want to get to know you because I'm becoming you and I need to know who I'm about to be. <laughs> and, and we laugh about that now. And, and, and ironically, I haven't talked to him. Usually we talk at least once a week. And if, if, if we go a few days without the, the phone call, one of us is like, hey, what's up, man? You, you, know, you don't love me no more. And now our relationship has, has become, as I said, best friends, where I call my dad and he's asking me for advice on relationships. He's asking me for advice on business strategies and, and plans that he's trying to implement. So it, it, it's a, I mean, it's still very much father and son because I'll call him, and, you know, if I need to cry on his shoulder a little bit. Um, but it's really fun to see our relationship having evolved, but we wouldn't have gotten there had I not forgiven him and had he not forgiven himself. And that's really why forgiveness for me is so important because I think I've, I had to have forgiven him way back when. Now I didn't, I never lived in the house with both parents. So I never had to deal with that uh, pain of having somebody leave. Uh, but so I think it might've been a little bit easier for me to be okay with not having him in my life every day. But I know that, you know, when you don't forgive somebody, you're in essence holding on to that pain and you're, you know, you're, you're drink as, as the, the quote says, you drink the poison hoping that they'll die. Right. And that's, that's not any way to live. And there's so many people right now walking around in, in pain and hurting and, and for that matter, hurting others, hurting generations of family members because of what what happened to them so long ago and and they just they they won't let it go so so that's and that's kind of what i want to ask you you said you saw him forgive himself and how it even changed his posture so before that moment what did it feel and look like when he wasn't forgiving himself like was there tension yeah, you know, it's so funny. It was awkward. You know, I guess it's probably the best way to describe it because like he want, he, my dad, my dad is so cool. He's like old school jazz, you know, he, he likes to wear the hat. He was very cool, but you could see that there were moments when we were together that he just didn't know how to relate. He just didn't know how to open up 
And, and I'm a kid, you know, I'm still looking up to him no, no matter what. And that's also a lesson that I share when I speak with women who have children that your son, your daughter want to know their father. They're so excited to meet them and they hold them on a pedestal. So even though you guys didn't work out, you have to know that they look up to them. So I'd be sitting there like, you know, you know, just couldn't wait to hear what my dad had to say or just to do projects with him. But it was always so awkward for him. And, and, and I now, you know, again, looking back 35 years ago, um, it does make sense now that that's why he was that way, because he had, he just, it was like that unsaid thing that needed to be said that was holding him back from just being comfortable. And, you know, and again, I, I was a kid. So uh, as an adult, you would think that adults could figure that out. But we all know that now that we are adults, that's the hardest thing because you got to admit that you messed up and you've got to you got to admit that there are things that you would have done differently. And you also don't know by having that conversation with the child if they, in fact, will even accept that. So. So there are a lot of parents out here because I talk a lot about the. Um, the, the mother syndrome the mm. mom syndrome. And I know a lot of men and women who have moms who um, purposely kept the children away from the father because they were hurt in some way and using the children's pawns. And um, that's, that's a different you know, challenge for them. But when you have a relationship, even if it's strained, um, or it's um, I don't know, sometimey with your father and you need to have that discussion. I think a lot of children, even uh, uh, at the child age and at the adult age, expect the parent to make the first move. Absolutely. And expect the parent to do the apologizing, but that's not always the case. So do you suggest that the, the child start that conversation? Well, um, you, you said a whole mouthful because the challenge you're gonna have is if the, if the mom or the dad, because again, we've got single dads out there that are struggling to find relationship with the mom. If the parents have done damage because they've used the child as a pawn, oftentimes the child is in such a negative space with that estranged parent that they may not want to reach out. They may not want to have a conversation with them. And then let's face it. Um, and I've had, unfortunately, I've had some, some, some friends and some clients even where the father, when the child reached out, was a complete jerk and said, I have nothing to apologize for. Um, I, I lived my life without you and I was, and it turned out just fine. And you seem to have turned out just fine too. So I don't know why you're calling me as if I need to apologize to you. So that's, unfortunately, that's the fringe, right? We recognize that there's going to be fringe out there. So that is the risk that you run because you as a child reaching out to that parent, that loved one that hurt you. And, and, and by the way, this goes beyond parental separation. We're talking molestation, you know, family, other family drama issues, things that happen to us as children. Childhood trauma is the reason that so many of us 
have relationship issues as adults. Reaching out to that person that hurt you can really and truly open up a can of worms that you may not be able to, to put back in the can. Uh, so you just have to be aware of that. But I will say, especially for those young people and, and or better yet, adults that have said, you know what, there's a piece of my life that's missing and I really want to reconcile that. Now, uh, forgiveness, I want to say this, forgiveness doesn't mean that the other person actually ever has to apologize to you. I mean, you know, if someone is dead and gone, they can't say I'm sorry from the grave. Forgiveness is really an act that you do. It's your act. So I have to forgive you. You may never say, Cedric, I'm sorry for hurting you. That has to be okay. When you truly forgive, it doesn't matter. Now, the goal, of course, if they do say, I'm sorry, and I messed up, then that's better. That's even better. But the fact is, forgiveness is a self-act. It's a very selfish act, in my opinion, because you're letting go of hurt and pain that's destroying you from the inside out, and it's to, that's going to ultimately destroy generations. And a lot of the, as you described, I think you said, called the mom, mommyisms or whatever, mm -hmm. that mom never forgave the man for whatever it is that he did. And in many cases, the reason we can't forgive other people is because we can't forgive ourselves. We can't accept the fact that we might have made a bad decision or made a bad choice, or we've allowed things to happen. So we've got to forgive ourselves so that way we can forgive that other person. But if that mom hasn't done those two steps, it's going to be that much more difficult for the child to actually cross that bridge. Now, had my mom done all her work? No. I mean, there's still moments I still mess with her to this day. I'm like, mom, you got to let that go. I mean, come on. But my mom did enough right to at least open the door for me to have a real relationship with my dad. And that's important. That's, that's very important. Now, there are, again, there's some parents out there that, frankly, our children never need to have a relationship with. And that's okay, too. That's where you do what uh, my mom also did, where you surround them with other role models, get them involved in organizations and programs that they will see what it means to be a good husband, to be a good father, to be a good wife, to be a good uh, mother. They've got to have that support network uh, of mentors that they can then refer to when they become adults. So forgiveness really isn't about getting the other person's buy-in is an internal choice that you make. Mm -hmm. So you can forgive someone without going to them and saying, I forgive you. Absolutely, absolutely. I, in my, my little workbook in Unconditional Forgiveness workbook, there's even an exercise where you could literally write down the person's name. You could write down what they did to you and then somehow destroy it. So you can burn it, you can throw it away, you can stick it in the mail to mail it to you know, some unknown address. And the act of doing that alone is a way of you saying, I am forgiving this person for what they've done and you've erased it from your life. You know what's interesting? Um, I'm divorced and um, I do not have any type of relation with my ex-husband at all. Mm -hmm. But um, I don't, you know, bash or anything. And I make sure that my son has a relationship with his dad. But Perfect. we had two homes. We had a home in Richmond we sold, a home in 
Texas that we sold, but we built our home in Texas. We, you know, picked the tile, you know, we picked the stone, everything. So like that was like our home, not the Richmond one. So every time I would go to Texas to visit my daughter, to, you know, see my friends or whatever, stuff, I always drove through the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I always stopped and I always, not like I want him back. Like that's never, ugh, no, no, yeah. I want him back. But yeah. it was just like the fondness and the memories of that home. Mm-hmm. And one day I was like, fumbling through my purse and I unzipped it and like my wedding ring was there. I was like, why is my wedding ring still in my purse? Like I should have pawned this years ago. <laughs> so we were talking about forgiveness. Um, I followed this divorce coach, um, Andrea Stuckey. And I was like, I think I may be going back because I really don't forgive him. Like I love that period of my life. And mm-hmm. I'm angry because he, it didn't turn out and he wasn't the man that I thought he was and I can't forgive it. Like I have to move on. So one day I was in Texas and I just took my ring and I just placed it on a door, um, on the, um, the step of the front door, placed about the front door actually. And I took a couple of pictures, I sent it to Andrea and I just walked away and I go to Texas now. I don't even think about the house. That's see, so you just did it. That that is exactly what I'm talking about. And and you know what? The fact is, I mean, I I was married and divorced too, by the way. And so the book talks about, I talk about those kinds of things. Like there is such a emotional connection. You were married to that person. And you don't want to hate that person because if you hate them, then that means you did you really love them? So right. that's a that's a that's a really hard kind of thing to deal with. So when divorce comes along, you're really upset that it didn't work, and that's okay. But what I would encourage you, if 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 I were you know if you were sitting on my couch <laughs> as a client, I'd be like, listen, remember the good times because the good times created a child. The good times created lots of memories. And it's the negative things that didn't happen that caused the relationship not to work. Those are the things that you just have to forgive so that you can remember the good times, right? Because, and that's, and, and frankly, that I, full disclosure, that's what I tease my mom about right now. We, and Lord knows, I probably shouldn't say this because she's going to want to watch this video, but I'm going to say it. My mom, we have joked about how she will show up and, and now that we're back in Nashville, it's a little different. But when we were, you know, when she would come visit us in Chicago or even come down here, it literally before the first 24 hours was up, she would always bring up a story of her and my dad. Now, she has been married for more than 35 years to somebody else. But her most fond memories in life were that six year period of time that she dated and was married to my dad. And again, thank goodness, I, I think she's let go of the, of the, like she's come to grips, I should say, with the divorce itself. I think she still has some lingering issues and pain because she wishes that it lasted, but you've got to keep those good memories and that's important. So good for you. I love it. I can't believe you didn't pawn the ring though. You could have got you a nice little charm or something out of the diamond. Come on now. <laughs> We, we are like completely estranged. I'm glad my son's a teenager because we don't communicate at all. And it's not me. Like I grew up with my mom divorcing one man and marrying another man and 
her first husband hanging out with us and spending a week, you know? So I, you know, I don't harbor any ill will, but he's just a separate, he's a different being. But, um, but I just wanted, I shared that story and you sharing your story about the journal and burning it because it really works. I mean, like it sounds ridiculous, but it really, really works. The mental it's so, and it's so simple, right? Like you would think, no, there's no way, but I, I've done it. I've had other people do it. Um, and I, and I would even say, if you want, you can just mail, mail that letter to me. And, and even, you know, let's say maybe six months from now, I'll open the letter up and we're going to talk about how you feel as a result of doing this. So, I mean, there are little things and, and, and frankly, one of my big things is mindset, right? You've got to have a positive mindset. You've got to be okay with life and where you're going. And if you're harboring all of that ill will, you're harboring all those negative feelings, you, you, you're going to damage your new relationship. There's gonna be trust issues. There's gonna be, you know, like I, I said, abandonment issues. I mean, I, I still, to this day, have challenges when I'm like, oh, is she gonna leave me? You know, I just, it's just, it's just kind of baked into our souls because of what happens to us as children any traumatic experience that we've had. So, you know, for anybody that's ever been robbed, I was, when I was a little fella, uh, my mom's sorority was making decorations and these guys came in to rob us. And, and I remember my back was to the door and I was right by the door and one of her sorors grabs me and lays on top of me. And to this day, I do not like having my back to the door. And it's not just cause I'm a black man, but it's because I don't, because of that childhood experience, uh, which makes it a lot of fun when I go out to eat with friends that are like in law enforcement <laughs> and other things, because we fight to just have the door to seize the front door. I mean, how to see. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay, I'll let you have it because you got a gun. So exactly. I'll let you have it. But, but next, what next time. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. They got the gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just let me know. Right? <laughs> so I have questions that I ask um, okay. all my guests. So we'll get started. So Cedric, what is your superpower? Ah, my superpower, I would have to say is forgiveness. Uh, and we talked a lot about that. I think um, that is what opens so many doors for me. That's opened my heart. And that's actually opened the opportunity for me to help educate and help others heal. So that's my superpower. And I would have guessed that by now. <laughs> all right, next question is what would you like to tell anyone who's gone through or is going through what you endured? First, I would say trust the process. Uh, And I know that sounds really odd, right? But everything we go through in life is about a process. And if you know anything about a process, there is a starting point, there is an ending point, and there are things that happen along the way that get you to the end. So if you trust the process, so if you're if you're dealing, if you're a parent and you, you've just separated and you've got small children or you're trying to figure out what you're going to do for the rest of your life because you had your life plan with this person. Understand that you're going to go through some things in this process that are going to be challenging, but they're also going to strengthen you. So just like a but- butterfly in the cocoon, if it comes out too soon, the struggle that it needs inside that cocoon for the wings to be strong enough for it to fly, it has to take place. So if you if you try to break out of that cocoon too fast and not complete the process of, of grieving and then ultimately healing, then you won't have the strength that you need to continue to fly. 
So I would say trust the process. Yeah, good answer. So what's next for you? Oh man, you know what? I, I used to say all the time, I got this plan, I got that plan, but God has really been doing some very uh, amazing things for me because if you had asked me two years ago, if I'd be living back in Nashville, Tennessee, I would have said, absolutely not. And now I've been here for 18 months. So um, I really want to do more workshops. Uh, I've, got, I've, I've got an idea for another book uh, that I wanna write on entrepreneurship and do some pot podcasting around that. Because again, I think for a lot of us, we get stuck and we, or we don't know how to move forward. And the most, of the, most of the time it's based on our mindsets that there, there's something that somebody told us at some point in our life that, hey, you can't do this and here's why. And we held on to that. And so I want to open doors and create avenues for other people to live the dream and, and own their own business and bless others. That's great. Uh, let me know when that book comes out. All right. I'm, I may have you featured in it because the idea is I want to I want to reach out to people that are doing exactly what you're doing. You know, you're taking full advantage of the technology and, and what's available to you. And you're building a platform to help spread knowledge and, and wisdom and healing. And, and I, I'll quickly share, um, I had a, a business year uh, two years ago, I think it was now, three, three years ago. And I had all these goals set. That's, that's actually why I answered initially the way I did. Had all these goals set and I'm looking at November, early de December, and I was nowhere near meeting those goals. I had specific goals within my business. I had a goal of launching another business and making that be successful. And I also wanted to write another book that year. But the shift was I had helped other people in my business line get their businesses up and going, and they were actually growing. So mine wasn't doing all that well, but they were kicking butt. I also helped three people start businesses that year. Three, they came to me, I walked them through the process. And also that year, I helped four people publish books. And it was in that moment, I kept having this visual of, you know, the, the pebble, when you drop it in the water. And, you know, for me, I thought I needed to drop a boulder so I could make a big splash. And that splash would be about me. But God really put it on my heart. No, you're a pebble. And you create the waves that then reach out to create larger waves and impact more people. Because there's no way I could have started three businesses and written four books that year and continue to do the things that I needed to do. So uh, that shifted my mindset. So that's why I'm really, that's really what I'm about. That's what I'm excited to do. And I want to get you in that book too. I just have to do it. <laughs> uh, I would love to. I would love to. Thank you for the offer. Okay, here's your final question. Okay. All is said and done with your time on this earth. How would you like to be remembered? As a servant leader, I believe that there is nothing uh, more valuable that I can give to others than my time, my knowledge, and my love. And I want to lead others by my example. So I, I want to be the poster child for servant leadership right after the other king of servant leadership. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's, there's a hierarchy to this, but I, I want to be, I want to be on that list. I want to okay. be on the list of that. <laughs> okay, that's good. All right. So 
you know, because I'm not trying to bring any bad karma around here. That's yeah, it. no, 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 no. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show. Oh my goodness, this was a pleasure. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much. I did too. So I'll close us out. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Power From Pain. If you have any feedback on today's story, comment below or email me directly. I'd love to hear from you. Make sure to subscribe so you can join us again for another incredible story. And don't forget to subscribe to my email list for even more inspiration. Links and email addresses for today's show and today's guests can be found in the show notes. Thanks again. Stay safe and be well.